We're continuing to teach through Romans. We kind of got back into it last week by doing a quick, I mean, like, crazy fast survey of Romans chapters 1 through 8. We're picking up in Romans 9 today. And I really want today, I hope it's just really simple about what our takeaway is. And, and so we're, we're really going to just try to um, have this one point today. And as Paul's been working up to this point of Romans 9, um, he's just like all of this, 1 through 8, has been like this growing snowball. It's the, you know, Paul has been building an escalating... Um, He's been building and escalating this case of our great hope and assurance that comes from our salvation being by grace alone, through faith, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he's just been unpacking like why that is so glorious and like how that, imp- how that impacts just his day-to-day of clinging to hope and, and seeing God's character and love exhibited over and over again and like the work that God has done to not only um, make us righteous once again in Christ, but then also to remind us of his love for us. And like, and, that, and that's just, I mean, to talk about just to get a glimpse of the heart of God, like what a glorious scene that God went through to such extent to just remind us, to all, in all these different ways, remind us of, of, of who we are as he has created us to be and who he has made us in Christ. And, and so again, it's just been this growing kind of building, and now we come to this point um, and when we think about kind of the, the work that Christ did in us, you know, it's, it's that he didn't require us to make ourselves acceptable. He didn't require us to make us clean once again. He did that. He, he knew that none of us were innocent of sinning against him. So what did he do? He, he made a way in Christ for us to actually be innocent, right? And again, I'm, I'm, I'm broadly summarizing all what, what, what we taught specifically through 30 sermons. Um, so again, go back and read and listen and all that stuff to get more specifics on this. But he, he made, he, in sending Christ, he made Jesus the one who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Through Jesus, we're given right standing before God as righteousness, and we're giving the benefit, the inheritance of being sons and daughters. Again, I just, I want to make sure that the snowball is in view, that you kind of see it coming at you and you can't get out of the way. Right? Like I, I want that to be really clear, that he has adopted us as sons and daughters. He, he's, he's, he, Jesus took our, our guilt and our penalty and gave us, once again, he gave us his, his innocence and his position with him in the family of God. We're not left to earn our salvation, although there is expected effort. Remember that? Not against effort, just against earning to live for God's glory and to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. And then, and then he kind of came to this point of calling us to this humbling, glorious truth that even though we will stumble, we will fall, we will fail because of grace and because of the completed work of Christ, we never have to fear condemnation again, as we saw in Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's, that's just a, a very quick summary of kind of how we've gotten to where we are. So now we get to Romans 9. If you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 9 or click in your apps. We'll have it on the screens as well. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can go to more, click events. We'll pop up. You can follow along in there. Also, if you don't have a Bible or any of that, or you just you don't have a Bible at all, please look on the ground near you under a chair. There's a Bible there. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that as our gift to you. So, um, to get into this today, I I want us to come into it with this right momentum. All the stuff that I just tried to summarize, 
Paul actually summarizes it pretty well, wrapping up Romans 8, which we actually closed last week's sermon with just a part of this passage. We're going to read a little bit more today. Um, so I'm going to get a few of you to help me um, to read some of this. Uh, so, and I, But before we get there, we're going to pray. Let me pray. Um, God, I just pray right now you would calm hearts and still minds. Um, I thank you that by your hand and by your desire, Lord, we are all here in this moment today to hear, Lord, the proclamation of, of, of the beauty of the work of Christ or the salvation that we have in him and the, and, and the belonging that we have in him and the purpose that we have in him. And Lord, I pray right now that it would um, just stir us up every day, that we would, we would go forward with confidence, knowing the way that you see us, the way that you... you um, you think of us, God, because of Jesus, and also, Lord, knowing that um, you, you know that we will not be perfect, um, but Jesus is, and you are um, making us more like him every day. Um, so, Lord, just open our hearts and minds now. Lord, use this time. Speak through me in spite of me. Once again, I pray that you would take my words, catch them aflame in our hearts, Lord, that our lives would look different, our lives would be different, not just because we're good at doing something, but because we are different because of Jesus. So, Lord, we give you this time in your name. Amen. So if I could get uh, three volunteers, I need someone to, to read Romans 8, 31 through 34, and then someone's going to read Romans 8, 35 through 36. Then someone's going to read Romans 8, 37 through 39. And then I'm going to read Romans 9, 1 through 5, our passage for today. And Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He says, for I can wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So what just happened in that passage? Um, one of my top favorite movies is the movie Gladiator. Um, and and I, my, one of my years of college, I think it was the year it came out on DVD, I, I literally watched it every night. I didn't finish it every night, but it was on every single night. It was my lullaby, and I, so I had pretty aggressive dreams for a while. Um, but, but, I mean, it is literally still, I, I kind of have a perpetual top five. At some point it got locked in, and it hasn't changed for like 15 years. But Gladiator's in there. And one of my favorite scenes is the opening scene of this movie. And if you haven't seen it, I'll try to describe it to you. But it's this beautiful, serene scene of this beautiful day. You know, the camera has got this beautiful lens flare of the sun coming in. And you just see this, this wheat field. You're kind of the camera angles just across the top of the wheat field. And, you, and, and there's a gentle breeze, and it's causing the wheat just to sway. You know, and it's just this beautiful scene. And then you, you see this hand kind of walking along, just grazing the top of the wheat. And, and, and you, that only happens when there's not a care in the world. It's just this wistful moment and just carefree. And it's just beautiful. And again, it's just there. Then, then it kind of cuts to this beautiful, fragile little bird on this branch. And it's singing, just chirping. 
just this beautiful moment. Then it cuts to Maximus's face. And then on his face, you see this calm pleasure on his face. And it's so peaceful that you don't even recognize the grime on his face. And then you see the bird fly away, and you see Maximus's eyes. You see it follow as it flies away, and he's, it's just like he's almost like flying with it. And then the bird gets out of sight, and you, cuss, and you see Maximus's eyes come down to now his setting. And all of a sudden, the peace goes away, and you see a weight come on. And what you don't realize, the grime on his face is the grime of war. And the peace and the calm disappear, and he like, and he's looking, and he takes this deep breath as if just to resolve to do what needs to be done, and then he sets off to go, and what we know is he's going to now to go address the generals of his army for this stand against this opposing army. And this is kind of what I picture happened with Paul here. As I, as I think about how we got into this moment of this kind of, all of a sudden, this this shift of gears from this amazing proclamation of God's love and his assurance and, and, the, and again, like just the steadfastness, like nothing can take this away from me. Nothing can shake this in me. No matter what circumstance I face, I know that God is good. I know that I am his and I know that he loves me because that my faith, my salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is what he has done, not what I has done. And he is just up there and he is just in awe and it's all good and it's peace but then what happens, I, I, he looks up, and, you know, I, I work from Blacksmith Coffee. I, I, sometimes I'll say I'm working at Blacksmith Coffee, and people are like, oh, you have another job? And by the way, I would gladly work there. No, I, like, work from Blacksmith quite often. It's one of my favorite spots here in Montrose. And I, and I most often sit at the bar that sits at the window looking out onto Westheimer. And I kind of picture that that was Paul's moment in my imagination as, a, as I'm thinking about Paul writing this, penning this letter. And I picture him sitting there and he's writing this down and he is just enraptured with the goodness of God. And, and much like I do, I'll look up and I'll see people walking on the street of Westheimer. I picture Paul lifting his eyes and seeing his kinsmen, his fellow brothers and sisters of Israel, the chosen people who somehow have missed it. He's full of hope and joy, and then he looks up and he sees these people that just don't have a clue of, of, of what they're missing, and his heart breaks. These verses lead us to this section where Paul is addressing this people of Israel that we'll work through over the next uh, weeks to come. But he wants, he he's, it comes to this moment of just being overtaken and seeing the despair and, the, and, and he sees the reality that's in front of him and just everything in him. He wants them to wake up to the truth of who Jesus is, their promised Messiah. Verse 3 says, Paul, he, he, he says, I would gladly give up my salvation, I would gladly give up my position of the elect for the sake of them. Like just this urgency. And that's, that's where we're at today. That's what I hope we walk away with today. It's just this same reality. But before we get there, I think just to help us very quickly, who, who are the people of Israel in, in broad form? 
um, because you know this is who this is the context of who Paul is talking Paul is talking about. He's talking about his brothers and sisters of Israel. They 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 are God's chosen people, which he is. He has chosen to be the way in which he reveals himself and his promises to the world, in which he is glorified. We see this in 4 and 5, like all these pictures of how they were the chosen people, the way, the, the, the position they were in, of great, great privilege, but not of, of like privilege to claim, but of to enjoy. Because it says they've been given the adoption. They were God's chosen people that had been set apart for his purpose. They were a special selection. They were the ones in which he would bring his message of hope and redemption to the world. So that's what we see when he says, you've been given the adoption. He says, in the glory, don't know if you know this, but God's presence literally dwelt with the people of Israel. They were given the temple, and where they went the temple was, and literally the holiness and the presence of God dwelled in the temple. They had that fellowship that they, 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 they actually had the access to the glory of God in the temple. Through them came the covenants. We have the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the, the, the Noahic covenant, the Davidic covenant. Again, like we have all these great covenants without going into all those. The, basically what the covenants proclaimed is God saying to the people of Israel, I will be your God. You will be my people and you will be established forever because of my work through you. He says, we've been given the law and that's just the divine will of God. And this has more force for them than it does for us because the law was so prevalent and, and understood. But it is just the divine will of God. They were the ones who were given the divine will of God for all to know. And then again, they were given the worship. They were shown the way to engage the living God. So not only were they given the temple, they were also shown the way in which to come before a holy living, living God. And then it says the promises. And that is the promise of the Messiah. The Messiah, Christ, and we see in verse five, Christ came from them. So we see like they've been given all this and Paul, he's like, man, this, this was all yours and yet somehow he's looking out and he's seeing a people that have missed it. And his heart is breaking to the point, I mean, it still just blows my mind to think that he would say, I would give up what is mine for your sake. And so again, one point today, one point, do we have this heart? Do we have a heart for those around us? Do we feel a sense of urgency for those around us? Does our heart break? Do we see the world as God sees the world? And, and you know, I, as I was processing this and praying through this, I was thinking, gosh, man, like, what are the possible responses that, that we can kind of come to when we think on this? And, and, and this is not a call to survivor's guilt, right? So I have experienced this, and I want you to feel bad enough that you would be moved to, to go help others, that you would feel bad that they don't have it, right? It's not survival's guilt. Like, how did I experience this? It is, it is one of, of um, being... And awe is one of, of, again, having God's heart implanted in us. It is, it is not just being driven by guilt because, again, that's taken away, but it is actually reflecting and remembering the work of Christ and having his heart expressed through us. 
do we look around thinking about kind of as he saw the people of Israel? They were God's chosen people, you know, and now we're thinking about where we are, and we're not just, we're not just talking about the people of Israel, right? We're talking about all of humanity, all of mankind, and like, do we look around and do we see the beauty of all people that have been created in God's image? To see a, a common likeness that they are our people, we are their people. We talked on Friday night when we did the screening for uh, Josue's film, uh, Unforgivable, and how in Rwanda there was this false divide between the Hutus and the Tutis that was just contrived by Belgium in 1933. Is that correct history? And so it was just like, from now on, there will be two people, and you're going to be, and you're going to have to identify yourselves as such. And it was just a false divide. And like, we look around at humanity, and we see all these false divides, but he said, but like, hey, do we look and actually see the way God sees that we were all created in his image? And we are one humanity. We belong one to another. Do we see the passion in people around us to make things right? Do we actually see that there is a right longing for right things? And again, I'm saying this to see how there is this, like they're so close. This, like think about Paul and the people of Israel, his brothers and sisters. He's like, gosh, you've had it all. You've had it all. It's been given to you, and yet somehow you've missed it. And like when we look around, we see like when people cry out for justice, and they cry out for equality, and they cry out for, for selflessness, like they, they are so close. They're so close. Do we hear the questions for meaning and purpose, but yet we see these questions aimed at kind of lesser promises and less fulfilling things and, and, and things that are just here. But yet there's just this close yearning, right? We were created for purpose. We were created with meaning. So do we hear and see the way God does, the way that he sees his people? So close, so close, and yet still missing hope, still missing the real understanding of who we are, still missing what we were created for, who we were created for. God's intent has always been for all creation to know him and to know hope. To say that Israel was God's chosen people, it was not that they were elite and set apart that they would be the only ones that would know God's truth and blessing. They were meant to be the ones that would so that the rest of the would the rest of the world would know it through their life and their proclamation. So we're moving fast today. Again, one point. Can we have a heart for the people around us? So when we think about this, this need, this need for a Savior, this need for a Redeemer to come in on our behalf, this need for someone to come and set what was made wrong right. This is what we're talking about. And I want to put some flesh on it today um, by hearing a testimony of someone coming to know Christ. And, and I thought no better weekend to have Josue do it since he won't be here another weekend. So I wanted to ask Josue to come and share um, his testimony, and, and if you don't know, Josue is, uh, leads and directs the Italy Film Project, um, and they make, jo Josue makes films and, and documentaries and stories for the sake of um, showing 
the work of the gospel and gospel themes. And, and with the intent of those being vehicles and avenues in which ways the gospel conversation is, is forwarded and giving us access to, to bring the light of Jesus to places it hasn't been. So this is a big, this is an amazing way of doing ministry in Italy. We did it Friday night uh, with you um, here. It was your first time to do something like the actual outreach yeah. viewing in yeah. the U.S. Yeah. And um, an amazing night and uh, some stories worth sharing there and more stories to come, I'm sure. Um, but but uh, Joe Sway also has, a, as, as anyone that has come to Christ, has a beautiful testimony, but would love you to share kind of how you came Thank to you. Christ. So. Morning, everybody. Um, I'll try to be short. Usually I get really passionate about what God did in my life and I cannot stop about, you know, going on and on about saying everything. So I'll try to keep it short. I'm glad he had the, the clock over here. So I see what, like, uh, more or less the time. But, uh, um, yeah, uh, he already said, my name is Josue. I'm 35 years old, um, even though I look younger. But, <laughs> but uh, when um, I was born in a Christian family. Evangelical Christian family, which is a rarity in Italy. It's very rare. And um, I was born, um, yeah, in 1983. I was raised in a church, and uh, I used to go to Sunday school with other kids. And uh, growing up, like, I started to get closer to God when I was about 15, 16 years old. And uh, when that started to happen, um, something happened in my life. I received a phone call, and this phone call was the girl that I was used to hanging out at the time at school. And she said, your dad tried to stay with me last night. I was like, what you're talking about? And, uh, and so, so she went through on, on all the details. And uh, when she told me all the details, I knew that it was right. Because there were so many things in place that she, she couldn't just make that up. And uh, when I heard that, like the whole word fell on my shoulders. And when that happened, I said, you know, I said to my dad, I'm going to become your hell now on earth. And I said to God, I'm going to show you that I will be able to live without you. Because if, if this is what happens to the people that follow you, then I'm not going to do this. And uh, what happened, I started to basically uh, do that, living my life only to do these two things. To give her hell to my dad and to show God that I was able to live without him. And so how was doing, I was doing that? I basically started to try everything that I will find along the way and put myself into it because I thought that that was uh, the way to get satisfaction but also to uh, kind of like create some discomfort to God, some discomfort to my dad. And... Um, so I started to hanging out with a new group of people. We started to get a lot of drugs, and um, we started to smoke marijuana during the week, and that was not enough. Then I started to do it every day. Um, then we went from uh, smoking every day. Like, just to give you an idea, I would smoke like seven, eight joints per day, every day. And then I was started, you know, I started to do cocaine. But then the cocaine, it will, you know, sometimes when I would do too much, it would pick me up and... Uh, I will go really like, you know, how do you say, shaky and very tense. And then I will smoke in order to go down. This is just to give an idea of how much I was doing that. And um, what happened is that uh, through the whole time, uh, police was involved in that. Um, I'm thankfully, like, you know, not never really bad happened to me. But just to, I'm trying to say this thing because I want you to have an idea of like uh, what, where, what, where I was going, okay? Not because I like to make scene to look good, right? So I want to make sure that you understand that what was happening, it was becoming something really bad. And uh, 
police will chase after us at night and we will try to you know hide the drugs and we will deal with drug dealers and while all of that uh was happening um i thought that uh that was one way to fulfill my life but then i started to see it didn't really work so i said to myself well i'm doing this i'm gonna try to be successful at work and um I started to work with this company, and after one year, I like I was really committed. No matter the drug I was doing, I was committed to do that at the same time. And what happened is that after one year, my boss came to me and he said, "Listen, when I talk with my wife, we're going to give you twenty percent of the society, and you don't own us any money. Um, you can you're part of this now." And when he said that, I said, "I'm going to quit." And he says, "What you're talking about?" I was like, "And to me, what I was experiencing, like this is not what I thought it was going to do to me." when I arrived to that point. Anyway, I kept going on and on, on and on. In the meanwhile, friends started to do heroin and uh, like they were, like I, I had one friend committed suicide because he couldn't get out. Another friend didn't know how to get out. Like all of this was going on at the same time. And uh, me, myself, I arrived to the point that I started to feel like everything that my mind could imagine, um, I tried it. There was nothing else. I always said, I can have more of all these things, but this is not going to fulfill me. And it's funny because uh, it seems like somebody in the Bible already talks about that in chapter 12. And uh, maybe he did it more than me, but I think that that was the, the point. What happened is that when I touched that point, when I arrived to that point and I touched the bottom, I realized that there was no point in life, in living a life. It makes no sense. Because everything that I tried from drugs to alcohol, sex, and whatever, um, it didn't fulfill me, it didn't make me feel good. And so I was like, so what's the point of living a life? I went to this kind of depression that when I will talk in, with people, it was not anymore about enjoying the life, it was about entertaining their life because I didn't want to live mine, if that makes sense. And the drug, was with the drugs I was trying to turn off all my emotion because all my emotion were all about how sad it is life. Now I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to put that on you to make you feel like depressed this morning, but that's just to say, I want you to touch with your hands this morning what was happening in my life, because that was real. It was real pain. It was very deep. And when that happened, I said, this life makes no sense. I better end it. And so I started to think about you know, committing suicide. And when that thought uh, was um, teasing me, then I soon realized that if I wanted to do that, I had to deal with God at some point. I knew that God was real. I just didn't like him. And, uh, and I basically was even worse. For some people, suicide was the solution. For me, it was like my nightmare because now I had, to, I had to live the life that I didn't want to live. And so I'm stuck in the middle living the life that I don't want to live. And I, I've seen myself miserable. I was like, I don't want to live this life and I have to live it. Because of God. And that, like, and I was even more angry at God. And when I arrived to the point, I remember I tried to talk with people, but um, they it seemed like they couldn't understand what I was going through. And so one day I went to my room and I said to God, I don't like you. I don't want to come and ask for forgiveness. But if you really love me, then you got to show me that you really do. If you come as a tornado and you delete everything and you show me somehow that you are the, really the God of love that you say, then... Um, that's how I'm going to realize that you are the God that you say you are, just because you're going to do something. And uh, when I said that, I just needed to tell somebody that, you know, how I felt. And what happened is that after two months, God did it. Um, I won't tell you all the details. We don't have the time. But I surrendered my life to Jesus one night. And uh, I said, just take it all. 
like I tried everything and I got nothing left in my hand. So I, I give you everything and uh, let's see what happened. And uh, the, that since that moment, my life was changed. I, I couldn't believe the joy and the peace that I had. I couldn't believe, like there was something and I couldn't explain. And I remember when I, when I stand up from that place, um, I was weeping for about 30 minutes. I went back in the room, I talked with a guy and we started to laugh about something. And I was like, gosh, this is amazing. I was like, I'm really joyful. This is peace. And I was like, and I had this big feeling that whatever needed to be done, it was done. I didn't need to search or like trying to find this sense. I was like, this is amazing. And then for a month, I said, I was trying to see it. It was so unreal that I wanted to talk with people and see if the, in the morning, the first thing I would do, I would go in the kitchen and talk with the first person I will meet just to see if that feeling will go away or was still there. Now, 14, 15 years after, it's still there. So th praise be to God for that. But just saying, um, it was amazing, and I couldn't believe it. And when I discovered that, I said, listen, like, I, I wanted to give up on my life for something just because it, it, I didn't have sense of life. Now I can die for the sense that you made in my life. I can die for, for what you have done for me. And that's when I said, I want to become a missionary. I want to serve you in full time. So, so that brings us to one more question, Josue. Mm -hmm. We'd like to hear what motivates you so passionately to share the gospel, to bring the gospel to difficult places. I think that is strictly related with my story. If God would have not done what he has done, um, I don't think I would be here today. I don't think I will do what I'm doing. Yet. I don't think... I will see the people in the way I see it. Now, the problem is that usually today, the society tells us, and unfortunately that's, that's becoming also the view in the church, is that uh, suffering is always an issue. It's something that you have to be away from it. Now, I'm not going to preach that and say this morning that you should all be suffering. What I'm saying is I'm thankful for the suffering that God brought in my life because that suffering let me touch with my hands what it means to be without hope. And I think that sometimes, we, and I do that too, we take that for granted. We take for granted salvation. We take for granted the fact that we are safe forever. And we don't take seriously hell for the people that are around us. And I do that too. But I think in the same time when you arrive to the point that you want to end up your life, really, you've got nothing left. When you think that there is nothing in this life that can save you or can give you something and you're ready to give up on that, you touch the bottom and then you also started to excavate, if that makes sense. To scratch it. It's like you touch the bottom, but that's not enough. You keep excavating in that. And so um, uh, if I will, like, you know, when some, like, I sometimes let people ask me, you know, why do you get so passionate about it? Why do you think, you know, that... Um, we should live like this, or why do you think each Christian should be a missionary? I'm like, or like sometimes I talk with people and they would be, you know, I will be a missionary if God will call me to. I'm like, listen, this is not, this is not it. This is not the gospel. Like we are all called. If we really discover who Jesus is and what he has done for us, um, there's no other way. There's no other way. Now, that means that maybe you are in your workplace, and that's where you want to honor God and you want to see how God wants to use that. But having that intentionality, it's key. And if we don't have that intentionality, something is missing in our life, believe it or not. And um, as he, he said, like, 
I, I don't think we should play the, you know, the guilty motivation so that this morning you will feel guilty and then you will go back and you will do something about it. But in the same time, how am I going to tell you that, you know, like the, me, myself, first, most of the times we don't take health seriously when we look at the people around us. And um, so I, I would like to encourage you this morning um, not to um, do something out of duty, but that my prayer is that we all this morning can go to God and say, like, I need your help. I need to see, really, I need to go back to the value of the cross and Jesus on the cross and how that is, how you want to use that in my life today. Thank you. Check. All right. Yeah. I, uh, I, I just thought, as, as, as I've gotten to hang out with Joe Sway a little bit over the last few days and talked to him before, it, his passion for those that don't know Christ is um, so evident all the time, um, and, and it just seemed way too connected to, the, to today's sermon and to, to not have him share. Um, and so as we said with the people of Israel and, and for those who, who know Christ, it, it, it is never meant to just, to our, our salvation and redemption is never meant to end there. It's not just about them. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. As we see in Genesis 12, 2, the, the, in, in, in Abraham's covenant here, he says, God says to him, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Like it is always meant to flow through. It is meant to be this stream of living water that comes through our lives and just rushes over the world around us. And so again, just as it is through them experiencing all, all that God had given them first, they were meant to be the way in which all people came to be saved and become worshipers of God. It was meant to go to all people even then we are meant to experience such a depth of joy. This is the promise that God has for you, that you would, that you would know his love, peace, joy, and hope that it would, to such an extent that it would be unfathomable, fathomable not to share it with others. And this happens all the time. We were talking last night, and this, this little picture jumped in my head like, like you bite into a good piece of steak, and you, you eat it, and like, this is me. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so good. And immediately I call him like, you've got to have a piece. And like, and I get offended. Like, I get offended if you won't take a bite of my steak because I want you to experience the goodness of what I have just tasted. And like I, it really bothers me, whether it be steak or whether it be other things that taste delightful, like I or just any experience that I've done. Like I I want others to, and I get and I truly like I it bothers me. I'm like, why won't you try this? And and like and Amber, my my, my wife, she is one of the strongest people and like peer pressure never works on her. And that has been one of the hardest parts of our marriage. Is like if she doesn't want to, she's not going to. And I'm like, come on, honey, taste she's like, I don't want it. I'm like, taste it. She's like, it's going to mess up my flavor train. I'm like, no, just taste it. She's like, and I, there's nothing you can do to change your mind. But so it's a funny thing that happens for us. But like, you, you get this, like, oh, this is so good. Have a bite. Because it's just so good, you can't imagine keeping it to yourself. And that's the, the depth of the promise that God has for you if you are in Christ. And now I know that someone in here just had the thought of like, well, dang it. I don't feel that way. 
Like, does, like what's that, what does that mean for me? And go back and read Romans 1 through 8 once again. Like, go back and read Romans 7, and Paul's like, I am a horrible human being, and I get the goodness of God. I've tasted it, and I've seen it, yet I still am selfish. I'm still a jerk. I'm still judgmental, and I just don't get it. And then he comes once, once again just to the loving grace of God. And, and so even his moment of feeling like crap actually brings him to this very place we're talking about because of grace. So there you have it. That's the promise that God has for you in Christ. And that prayerfully is our motivation of why we cannot help but to proclaim the reality of who Jesus is. And Josue is absolutely right. We have got to take sin and hell seriously. That's why like Paul started there. Go read the end of Romans 1 through the beginning of Romans 3. And it's just this like you are a sinner deserving of judgment. Like, there's no good news without the bad news. And so, like, let's just pray that we would remember our need, but then also remember the work that is completed and that we are set apart, but being set apart, we are free and being made more free. We are transformed and being transformed. And that is the beauty of the grace of God. And do we catch what Paul is doing here? Last thing as we close. Verse 3 Paul says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I would give up my claim to what I, to what I have claimed to for the sake of others. Does that sound like anybody? Let me help you out. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now talking about Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It sounds like Jesus. I would give up my stake, my claim to what I am owed for the sake of others. The posture of Jesus. Now, again, we can. It's, Jesus did that. We can't give it up, but then Paul can't either. That's the whole point here. He's like, man, if I could, I would, because I want you to know. So my prayer is that for those that are in Christ today, this is your opportunity, again, because we don't want to move towards guilt and just beating ourselves up. We don't want to, because that's, again, you're, you've missed the grace part. There's grace. Your opportunity is just to, Remember, the work of God in Christ is the work that has made you something. It's not, a, it's not that you have to go make yourself something. The work of Christ in your life has made you a son and a daughter. It's not something you have to work on being. Jesus did that. Next, pray for the heart of God to overtake yours. Just, just pray that it would happen more every day. That's the journey of sanctification, the journey of being made more like Christ, the journey of transformation that we are all on together, that today, God, make my heart more like yours. And then the next day, today, God, make my heart more like yours. And then the next day, today, God, make my heart more like yours. And when you see that it's not like God's, confess, surrender, bring it into the light, and let his grace and mercy and love wash over you. And then the next day, God, make my heart more like yours. And then live that day unto God. Pray that God will help you see how it is only through his radical grace that you could be saved. Josue, if you didn't hear it, 
what he, what he clearly stated was, I am motivated because of what I have experienced. That's it. So pray that we would just be reminded of what God has done, what our need was of our own sin. Um, see the people, pray that you would see the people around you every day. Like be a people watcher. Uh, some people it comes natural to, um, some people they don't. Like, but be a people watcher. And like, hey, get imaginative. Maybe even imagine what their life is like. Make up stories. Again, if because all it does is just it engages you in their life. It invests you. You're probably way off. But it just, I mean, like, let your imagination run. Let, and, and here's the deal. As you see the people around you, you imagine what their life is like. Whatever comes from it, it is not so that you could pity them as one who has arrived or figured it out, but so that you could remember how you are alike. So that you could remember how you're alike. Again, we are all one people. We are humanity. And as you do that, pray that God will restore you to the joy of your own salvation. Again, so that you will be motivated and you would say, here, I want you to have some of this. You've got to taste this. And it would move you to the point, to the place of, opening your life and opening your mouth and pray for those around you by name that you know and specifically as possible. Be, and be and just, again, like pray for people. Pray for those around you that God has given you relationship with and, and, and access to. And, and again, not that they would be projects, but that they would be objects of God's love because that is what we all are and that we would somehow be a part of taking that love to them. So be generous and purposeful with your time and be grace-giving to yourself. Because again, we are the worst to ourselves and we're going to beat ourselves up and we're going to say, man, I can't, and then we're just going to get arrested and and, um, kind of paralyzed. So again, this is a journey of grace that God does. We plant, we water, but God causes all the growth, so it's always up to him. Be bold and courageous because the Lord your God is with you. He has promised to be with you until the ends of the ages. He's given us a charge of something to do, but he's also said, I will be with you. And like I said, open your mouth, position yourself to be used by God, open your life, and then open your mouth to proclaim the beauty of the life and love that Jesus gives. And if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, uh, um, I, I want you to, if you hear anything today, hear that God loves you. Hear that he loves you. He showed you his love in Christ. He showed you that he would do what it takes to make you his. He didn't make you do that. You're not left to overcome on your own. You're not alone. So yes, we are all more sinful than we could ever grasp, but we are all more loved than we could ever fathom. So God, I just pray right now that what would just overtake our hearts and our minds is the reality of what has been accomplished for us in Christ. That in Jesus, our sin is overcome. In Jesus, we are, we are taken from outsiders and made to belong, and not just to be affiliated, but to be adopted as sons and daughters. Lord, let us remember that you love us. That it's not just about religion, it's about your, the relationship that you restored in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would know it to such a depth, the depth that you have promised that we would be motivated to share with the world around us what we have experienced, what we have tasted and seen, that our life would be a life that just proclaims, come, taste and see that the Lord is good, and that our mouths would proclaim 
And Lord, that you would be glorified in the name of Jesus would be lifted high and there would be no other name that has any more fame in all the earth. I pray that we as a people would be a people that, that are a part of making that happen as we live out who you've made us to be, God. We thank you for your grace. We pray against guilt and condemnation that we enter ourselves back into and that even as we see where we fall short, that would only bring us to a place of humility and gratefulness and worship because of, again, who you are and what you've done in Jesus in your grace. So Lord, now as we come to the tables, we break the bread and drink of the cup of your, that represents your body that was broken and your blood that was shed for us. God, let us remember, Lord, that as we die with you, we are also raised with you to new life and new mission. So Lord, be glorified in us. Give us unity in the name of Jesus. Amen.